Welcome to the hills, all of you that watch online and all of you in person at West Fort Worth, North Richmond Hills and South Lake campus. Last week, I got to share with you a visit I had made recently to Slow City Church, San Luis Obispo, one of our church plants. Now this church is not three years old yet, started just before a pandemic, and there are already 400 people. And last Sunday we prayed because they were having a baptism Sunday in church. Can we just celebrate that nine people gave their lives to Christ and were baptized last Sunday? And it gets me even more excited about our baptism Sunday in two weeks. I'll be preaching Colossians 2, a message straight out of the text about the power of uniting with Christ in baptism. So you see on this slide, there's a place for you to sign up to be baptized. We'd like to know what service you're going to be in so we can be prepared on every campus. We're ready for you. We'd like you to invite your family, your friends, whether they're out of city or out of state, to come and witness this. And uh, let's just expect and pray for a great day celebrating the Lordship of Jesus. Also last week, we started a new series in the book of Colossians called Rooted. Now here's the big idea behind the series, that the church exists to make and grow followers of Jesus, that we don't just want people to come to Christ, we want people to come to maturity in Christ. Paul put it like this in Colossians, that just as you receive Christ, so also live in him, being rooted in him. Because when roots go deep, fruit is produced. So we talked last week about being rooted in the gospel of Christ. And today I want to talk to you about the importance of being rooted in the supremacy of Christ. And I begin with the story of a DEA agent who visited a ranch in South Texas and told the rancher, I'm here to inspect your land to see if there's any illegally uh, grown drugs on this property. And the rancher said, well, you can go anywhere you want except that pasture over there. The agent verbally exploded, pulled out his badge, said, do you see this badge? This badge has the authority of the federal government behind it. This badge says I can go anywhere I want Anytime I want, no questions asked. Do you see this badge? Rancher said, okay. A few minutes later, he heard that DEA agent screaming, looked over in that pasture. He was running for his life, being chased by a two-ton Brahma bull. The rancher yelled, show him your badge. Show him your badge. (laughs) So, few questions are as large as who's in charge. Let me say that again. Few questions are as large as who's in charge. In almost any arena of life, if you want a successful outcome, you've got to answer that question. That's especially true when you're trying to grow followers of Jesus. You will never reach maturity in Christ until you are convinced of the authority of Christ. And perhaps that explains why the church has always been full of immature followers of Jesus who claim Jesus as Savior, but they don't name Jesus as Lord and recognize his authority in their life. Some do this out of rank disobedience. I want Jesus to get me to heaven, but he's not running my life. I'm running my life and I'm making decisions. I don't take orders from anybody. 
But I don't think that's where most immature Christians land. It's not disobedience that's keeping them immature. It's disillusionment. Because let's be honest. We live in a world where it does not seem like Jesus is in charge. Every day, we are reminded of the reality of crime and poverty, climate disasters and pandemics, wars and rumors of wars. And into this confusion come a lot of different philosophies. And they all ask us to accept a reduced Redeemer. You see, Paul did not start the church in Colossae. Paul was in Ephesus for over two years. Epaphras came to Ephesus, became a Christian, went back to his hometown and started a church. And so after a while, he starts to face some disturbing teaching that's upsetting the church. He doesn't know how to deal with it. So he goes to find Paul and Paul writes to his spiritual grandchildren. And the letter we call the epistle to the Colossians. And in that letter, Paul deals with some of the philosophies uh, that were upsetting the church. There was more than one. There was uh, the problem of intellectualism or what some called Gnosticism. Uh, there was mysticism. There was legalism, even asceticism. And, and all those words mean is that implicitly or explicitly, Jesus was being considered inadequate. Intellectualism says Jesus is good, but you need to know more. And mysticism says you need to feel more. And legalism says you need to do more. And so these Colossians were hearing all these different ideas, basically saying Jesus is very, very good, but he's not good enough. Now here's what you need to know about many heretics. Not all heretics deny Jesus. What many of them do is diminish Jesus. This is very, very popular today. You'll hear things like, Jesus is one of many ways to God. Jesus is humanity at its very best. Jesus is an exceptional spiritual guru who ranks right up there with the greatest who've ever lived. Satan is fine with people not hating Jesus as long as they are not exalting Jesus to his rightful place. But Paul will have nothing to do with a condescended Christ. This apostle that could accept a diversity of opinions about a number of different views inside the church had no room in the church for diverse views about who Jesus was and what place he belonged in. Because here's what he knows. If you have a Jesus that has to be supplemented, then you have a Jesus that can soon be supplanted. And that's why he uses the word all so much in the book of Colossians. He keeps saying, Jesus is all you need to be all you need to be. Which raises then a very, very important question. 
How big is your Jesus? Is your Jesus large and in charge? Or does he need some help? You see, you're going to struggle with the sufficiency of Christ until you become sure of the supremacy of Christ. That to grow into Christian maturity, you must become convinced and you must live like you believe that Jesus is in charge. And so Paul is writing his readers in Colossae, trying to remind them of the supremacy of Christ. And he does it in a very unique way. He quotes a song. The text I'm going to read in a moment is one of the very first Christian hymns we know about. I know in your English Bible, it doesn't look like a song. In the Greek language, it's very clear. This was a popular and subversive hymn. Reminding the church of Jesus' resume. So, look with me at the lyrics to one of the very first Christian songs. Starting in verse 15, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's an awesome song. A song exalting and affirming the supremacy of Jesus. When I was a young preacher, I loved to hear an African-American pastor in L.A. called Dr. E.V. Hill preach. And one time he's in Denver for a Promise Keepers event at Mile High Stadium, 70,000 Christian men. And a reporter said, Dr. Hill, what are you going to do for two days? He said, we're going to talk about Jesus. And the reporter said, is that all? And later he told the story and chuckled and said, he just didn't know how much that is. And so what we're going to do is look at this song and consider how large and in charge Jesus really is. The song has two big themes. And here's the first. Jesus is all of God. The first line, he, the son is the image of the invisible God. That when Jesus came, the invisible became visible. Another version says, no one can see God, but Jesus Christ is exactly like him. The song says, God was pleased to have all, there's that word, all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. So, Jesus is fully God, and God is fully in Jesus. Jesus. Now, do you realize how controversial the statement I just made is? It's what got Jesus killed. Not his miracles, 
not his teachings, not even the fact that he didn't honor the Sabbath the way the religious leaders wanted him to. Here's what got him killed. Jesus made the audacious claim that the holy, invisible God of heaven decided to birth himself into human history and Jesus was the result. That he would say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father in heaven. What a subversive song. And he's not just saying that Jesus has deity. No, he's not just a God. He's the one and only God. He's first among equals. He's first and there are no equals. And that means the only way to fully know God is to know Jesus. Do you know how dangerous that sentence is? It got Jesus killed. It got many people in the first century church killed. See, you live in Colossae, and there's lots of gods. And Romans don't mind. You have all the gods you want. You can have a God named Jesus if you want. But once a year, you're going to go to an altar, and you're going to put a pinch of incense on it, and you're going to say, Caesar is Lord. And an unwillingness to do that just might get you killed. It's getting people killed today. Don't forget that in the last few years, more people who follow Jesus have been martyred than in any time in Christian history. This is a subversive song. That Jesus is all of God. And second theme. Jesus is Lord of all. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every second and every atom is claimed by Christ. Jesus did not hit the start button on the universe and then withdraw. And I know that there is so much evil and there's so much suffering, it's hard to believe this. So what this song is doing and what Paul is asking the Colossian Christians and honestly what the Holy Spirit is asking Christians today to do is to reimagine reality and to affirm in the midst of all of this that Jesus is on the throne and he is Lord of all. Now how do we do this? One way is we remember that all Things are made by him. Everything that exists does so because Jesus spoke it into existence. So again, the song says, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him. And for him, he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Now, this helps us explain some of the strange stories we read about in the life of Jesus. We have four accounts of the life of Jesus. We call them the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those four accounts, you have these stories of Jesus' interaction with nature. For example, Jesus 
could be unhappy with a fig tree and curse it and it would wither and die immediately. Or Jesus could wish water was wine and the molecular structure of the water would change. Or he could want fish in a net and there would be so many fish in a net you couldn't pull it up. Or he could see a storm and say, be still, and waves and wind would get peaceful immediately. Or blind eyes would start to see and withered limbs would become whole. Or most amazing, you've got some stories where Jesus walked up to dead bodies and spoke a word and decaying, disintegrating Human cells reanimated. How do you explain this? Nature knew its master. The creation recognized the creator. And he's not just the source of creation. He is the glue of creation. Song says he holds everything together. Jesus is like spiritual gravity, keeping the cosmos from just going into chaos. I know it doesn't always feel like it. But the song says Jesus has got the whole world in his hands. He made all things. And that means all things are subject to him. There is no sphere of existence over which Jesus is not sovereign There's not a single atom in the universe over which Jesus cannot legitimately say, mine. So look again. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Everything is subject to Jesus. Let's start with the church. He's the head of the church. Now, that is why I do not despair when it comes to the future of the church. As long as Jesus is the head, the body has a glorious future. That's also why, by the way, I don't get bent out of shape when not everything at church is the way I want it, because the church does not belong to me. The church belongs to Jesus. And as long as Jesus is head of the church, the church has a future. Authorities, visible and invisible, answer to Jesus. The demons, for example, know their future has already been decided. You have, again, these stories in the Gospels of Jesus walking up to people who've got demons. And the demons talk to Jesus, but they never talk back to Jesus. They never say, you can't make me. They never say, you want to arm wrestle? You know what they say? They say, have you come before the time? It's not time yet for you to throw us into the abyss. The demons know their future. Why? Because they know Jesus is in charge. By the way, forget all this silly nonsense of these cartoons where the devil is the king of hell. The devil is the king of nothing. Jesus is the Lord of hell. He created it so he has a place to throw the devil and his angels in when he's ready. And Just like the church has a future and the demons know their future, my future is secure. Because death is subject to Jesus. 
Death does what Jesus says. Again, read the Gospels, and you notice this? Jesus never preached a funeral. Now, he went to some funerals, but they didn't last long. He'd say, get up, funeral was over. <laughs> Look again, 1 Corinthians 15. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. That's some good news. We need to be clapping about that verse right there. Our future has been decided by the resurrection of Jesus. And when he comes back, all things will be reconciled through him. Now, currently they're not. There's a reason this world is so screwed up. Sin has estranged the creation from the creator. And it makes it hard to believe that Jesus is in charge. But God has an answer for sin. And sin is not going to undermine or overthrow the purposes of God. So again, the song says God was pleased for all of himself to live in Christ. And through Christ, God has brought all things back to himself again. Things on earth and things in heaven. God made peace through the blood of Christ's death on the cross. Now, right now, we don't see the fullness of this reconciliation. But we will. The entire universe is headed for a dramatic reversal when Jesus returns. All evil will be destroyed by the cosmic outworking of his death and all creation will be restored through the cosmic result of his resurrection. Listen church, the Bible does not start in Genesis 3 with fall and sin and a polluted creation. The Bible starts in Genesis 1 with God creating a good world and his children walking in obedience on it in harmony with him. The Bible ends in Revelation 22 with heaven coming back to earth and that world being restored. God is going to have what he always wanted, a good, pure world full of obedient children that he lives in joy and harmony with. God's going to get what God wants. Everything sin is fractured and marred is going to be made right again. Brought back into harmony with the divine intent. And on that day when Jesus returns, there's not going to be any doubt if Jesus is large and in charge. Now, we have a mission until that day. And that is to live this day, believing that day is on the way. Yes. To live in the future tense. Our mission in a world so full of suffering and despair is to be a witness that the way it is is not the way it's going to be. That God is going to have the world he always wanted. But if we're going to be that witness, 
We are going to have to be rooted in the supremacy of Jesus. So just for a moment, let's pretend that you lived, oh, let's say about A.D. 65, in a town called Colossae. You got a family, you got a job, you worship a lot of different gods, and at least once a year, you go to an altar and put incense on it, and you say Caesar is Lord. And then somebody invites you to their home one Sunday night. And you hear songs you've never heard before. And you hear about this Jesus. And the Holy Spirit starts to do something in you. And you start to wonder, could this be true? And the more you investigate and the more you're around the lives of these people, the more you become convinced Jesus is Lord. You surrender to Christ. You profess Jesus publicly by getting baptized into his death and resurrection. You become a follower of Jesus. And you've never felt more whole. You've never felt more happy. And you've never faced a bigger threat. Because in a few months, the city authorities are going to be expecting you to show up again, backed by a Roman army, to put a pinch of incense on the altar and say, Caesar is Lord. You had no problem saying that in the past. And now you know you can't. How do you keep people rooted when that is their reality? You get together every week. You love on each other. You, you hear the words of Jesus. And you sing subversive songs to each other. To help each other stay rooted in the supremacy of Christ. That's what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. And so I was encouraged recently by a video I saw two weeks ago that the nation of Russia unjustly invaded a sovereign nation of Ukraine. And many people fled to the subways as makeshift bomb shelters as missiles fell around them. And I saw a video of a group of Christians in a subway in Kiev. And look what they were doing. Now, I don't speak Ukrainian, but it's my understanding what they are doing is they're singing a song, praising God and thanking him for their salvation in Jesus Christ. 
They are declaring in that subversive song that no matter what happens, their future is secure because of their allegiance to Jesus. You see, Lord is not a promotion that Jesus hopes he gets someday. Lord is his job description right now. And I know what we mean when we say you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. But just to be clear, we do not make Jesus Lord. We acknowledge it. Jesus is Lord whether you want him to rule your life or not. Jesus is Lord whether you surrender to him or not. Jesus doesn't need your or anybody else's permission to be first. And if you don't see that, then your view of Jesus is just way too small. So, many think the greatest statue of Jesus ever sculpted was by Bertel Thvaldsen. The Danish genius has works all over Europe. But this statue is in the uh, National Lutheran Cathedral in Denmark. He formed the head. He was going to allow the wet clay to dry as he went home that evening. A mist came in, and when he came back that morning, the head had fallen. Instead of looking up, it was looking down. At first, he was disappointed, but then he decided, no, that's exactly how it should be. If you want to see the face of Christ, you should be on your knees. You should acknowledge the supremacy of Jesus. And when you look up to Jesus, your roots go down deep into him. It's a crazy world. It's hard sometimes to believe Jesus is still Lord. We get together, we take water and wine and bread. We, take, we watch people get baptized. We hear the words of Jesus. We sing these crazy songs. And we remind each other to stay strong and courageous. That one day the whole world will know what we know right now. Jesus is Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, I know someone needs to hear this word right now. I know, and we all need to hear it. I know that many of us have already decided that Jesus is Savior and can forgive us of our sins. But the, the daily struggle to live where Jesus is in charge is not easy. So help us, God, to be a better witness to a world of the Lordship of Jesus. Jesus, we pray you will come quickly. We pray that the day will come soon when all will acknowledge who you are. But this coming week, help us live in light of the truth. Jesus is Lord. Amen.